by overcoming the sin of favoritism from James 2, 1 through 13. Because as you can see, the main point is this. Christians demonstrate pure religion by showing no favoritism in the body of Christ. Christians demonstrate pure religion by showing no favoritism in the body of Christ. Because when we left off on the book of James the last time in chapter one, James told us about how we need to demonstrate pure religion. Uh, And in the matter of fact, I'm just going to read it. He said religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress than to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So going off of that pastor scripture, we're going to see how we need to demonstrate uh, our pure religion, uh, pretty much who we are in Christ, our relationship with Christ and all that by showing no favoritism in the body of Christ. So what I want to do is open up with the story to kind of help you guys understand what favoritism is before I go in and kind of dive into what this means. There's a story about a man who attended a church regularly for several months, but he always was ignored when he came. Because no one knew who he was, he looked out of place with his old and worn out clothes and no one ever took the time to speak to him. You know, wouldn't that how would you guys feel if you visited the church? And I mean, nobody spoke to you, you know, you probably wouldn't feel good about it as well. Maybe, you know, maybe some of you. I seen Trey shook his shoulder, so maybe he don't care. <laughs> but hey, you know, if that's if you've been going for a while, you would expect somebody to say something to you. Well, one Sunday, as this gentleman took a seat in the church, he intentionally left his hat on. We all know you don't wear your hat to church, right? Well, you keep your church, uh, hat on. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call me out, it's all right here. <laughs> yeah, no. it's, it's, yeah, it's all right here. But, you know, Sunday morning, I guess I should say. <laughs> but, you know. So this gentleman left his hat on and as the pastor stood on the platform and looked out over the audience, he noticed the man uh, with the hat on right away. So he summoned one of the deacons and asked him to tell the man that he forgot to remove his hat. And when the deacon spoke to the man, he responded with a big smile and said, ah, I thought that would do it. I have attended this church for six months and you are the first person to ever talk to me, you know. That should that should not be, should it? Uh, when we see people come to church, you know, we should be willing to uh, be welcoming to them, be willing to say something to them to make them feel welcome in the church. So I should, but I shared that story to share this: there is no place for favoritism in the family of God, because if we who have been born again through faith in Jesus are equal in God's sight. It don't matter where you come from. It don't no matter who you are, you know, no matter what family you come from, whether you're rich, whether you're poor. We are all equal in God's sight because we're all made in the image of God. Right. And that equality should be evident in the way that we treat other believers. We must be hospitable and courteous to all, regardless of their race, regardless of their social status, regardless of their appearance. And so when we show favoritism, we sin against people whom God loves and for whom Christ had died. So we need to be gracious to everyone and be careful to avoid showing favoritism in the body of Christ. You know, one way that that can happen right here in youth group, you know, when we have a visitor come, somebody comes and, and we don't say anything to them or we don't make them feel welcome or we don't make them uh, feel like we desire for them to be a part of our group, a part of what we're doing. And, and we have clicks to where we'll, we'll talk to other folks, but we won't talk to certain folks. 
You know what happens? The truth of the matter is it happens not only in youth group, it happens in the church as a whole. And we've always, always got to be careful to make sure we're all doing our part into not showing favoritism, as James says. So that's why the, the, his main point is that we need to demonstrate pure religion by showing no favoritism in the body of Christ. And James gives us four reasons why we need to overcome the uh, sin of favoritism, you know. So, well, when it comes to uh, favoritism, well, here, let's, let's look at the first point to show you. you can go to the next slide. Number one is this, and you have it on your worksheet. Favoritism is inconsistent with the Christian faith. It's the first point. Favoritism is inconsistent with the Christian faith. Let me go ahead and read our passage of scriptures uh, this morning, and then we'll go right into what James is trying to teach us this afternoon. So it says, my brothers... As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man with shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Of course, the natural answer to that question is yes. <laughs> but that's verse five. So then James says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you in the court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him who you belong if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who has said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So going back to that first point, favoritism is inconsistent with the Christian faith. That's what James is telling us first in verses one through four, when he tells us about how we should not show favoritism. James clearly starts out in verse one, doesn't he, by saying that believers should not show favoritism. So let me ask you this question before I define favoritism based off what I just read and based off the story I just shared with you. How would you then define favoritism? What do you think? Just take a guess at it. And by the way, when I ask questions, you know, just take a guess. Uh, you know, there's no, uh, you know, silly answer or just just, you know, uh, just just take a guess. And I'll tell you whether you're right or wrong. You know, uh, but I just want to know what you think. How would you define favoritism? Yes, someone. So you said um, someone liking one person over another, or having preference for one person over another, something like that. Okay. Anybody else? How would you define favoritism? Well. Uh, oh yeah. Maybe being biased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, you know, pretty much, yeah, where you're more than likely to talk to or, you know, certain people than you are others or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, th- it, there's a sense to where we all have uh, those biases like that or something like that. But here's, well, here's what favoritism is, according to the context that I believe James is trying to get to us that favoritism is judging a book by its cover, so to speak, or it's judging people based on what they look like on the outside rather than who they are on the inside. Favoritism is looking to see who someone is before deciding how you're going to treat that person. You know, James doesn't in our text. He gives us a perfect example of that, doesn't he? When it comes to the church, he he gives us a picture there in verse two. Suppose a man comes to your meeting, you know, talking about the church, pretty much wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man with shabby clothes comes in. And if you show special uh, attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But for the poor man, you stand there and say, you just sit on the floor by my feet, <laughs> you know. So, so you see, James has given us a, a perfect picture about how that can play out in the body of Christ. That's why he says in verse four, have you not then discriminated amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? So God shows. Uh, well, so favoritism, that's what favoritism is. And the answer is yes to what James raised in verse four, because if we have treated the rich person better than the poor person, we've discriminated and become uh, judges with evil thoughts. And that is not proper behavior for Christians. We can't call ourselves a Christian and treat people differently based on what they look like on the inside. We should treat people equally as much as we can in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get into that. But let me ask you this question. How do you think God treats everyone? How do you think he treats everybody? Does he does he treat everybody the same or do you think he you know, he he may treat John better than he treats me or, you know, what, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, I see. I think God treats equally. God treats us equally. Mm-hmm. First option. Mm-hmm. For, oh, oh, wait, what's uh, uh, the first option? Um, yeah, that God treats everybody. Do you think God treats everybody the same? Yes, I believe God does treat um, everybody the same because in Romans 2, 11, particularly, it says God shows no favoritism. You know, I mean, that's that's what Romans 2, 11 says flat out. God shows no favoritism. So he treats everybody the same as far as, you know, uh, because we are all made into the image of God. Yes. That doesn't mean that rich people, there will be, doesn't make us financially equal. Yes. Yes, spiritually equal. Yes. Yeah, that's what Billy, that, and that's right. Spiritually equal in God's yeah. sight. So, yes. So, the truth of the matter is the ground level, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no room for us to feel any sense of superiority above anybody else, or, uh, or, but it means that anyone can come to the cross. The ground is level there. There's no religious mountain or rules to climb or regulations you have to climb. The ground level is at the foot of the cross. And you don't have to have any special status or position to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's an old hymn that says the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Anyone may come for there is no cost. Rich man or poor man, bond or free. The ground was leveled that day at Calvary. So to show favoritism in this way for certain people over others is inconsistent with the Christian faith. That's why James tells us, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism because it is inconsistent with the Christian faith. Because God shows no partiality and we should not show any partiality as well. So number two, not only should we show uh, no uh, favoritism because uh, it's inconsistent with the Christian faith, 
Here's what James says next. Is point number two, that uh, favoritism opposes God's eternal plan. That's the answer there. Favoritism opposes God's eternal plan. We find out what God's eternal plan is in verses five through seven, where James says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised to those uh, who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you in the court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him from who you belong? So let me ask you guys this question. Who would you consider to be the poor in the eyes of the world? Because notice it says the poor in the eyes of the world. I don't know that this is necessarily talking about, you know, financially. But who do you would be considered, you think, the poor in the eyes of the world? No problem. <laughs> Bless you. Cover your mouth, though. Well, it's like they have a lot of money. Like, they have, like, really bad clothes or they only have one clothes. Yes. Maybe someone that may not have a lot of clothes or something. They're less fortunate in that way. Um, what else who you would consider to be the poor in the eyes of the world? Homeless people. Yeah. You know, um, what, what would you think about when you in school settings, you know, Maybe somebody who may not have a lot of talent, maybe somebody that, you know, or don't have a lot of followers on, uh, you know, social media or something or don't have a lot of friends or, you know, uh, somebody that's just kind of uh, quiet and in the background. I mean, those would be people that I think would be considered as people who are poor in the eyes of the world. They're people that uh, there's, there's that people don't see any significance really about them or anything like that because they don't have a whole bunch of recognition or they're not popular or or whatever it may be. You know, there are people who are less fortunate in our world. There are people who may not have a lot of money. There are people who are maybe physically handicapped. There are people who are mentally handicapped, who may not be able to help themselves without somebody coming alongside them and helping them. Right. It could refer to people who are not that popular, as I said. It may have people who don't have a lot of friends, like I said, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe an orphan child, one who's a widow. These are all people that I think that are can be considered the people who are poor in the eyes of the world. But notice what James tells us about those kind of people. He tells us that God chose those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, meaning rich in faith when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and to inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who love him, you know. So, see, this this is why favoritism opposes the plan of God, because while we have a tendency to have favor towards people who may be more like us or that we may have more in common with or something like that. God has specifically chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith. And that's pretty much talking about the common person. That's talking about me and you, you know, Um, because God is not favoring someone who is more poor economically than those who are rich. This is not a suggestion that all poor people in the world are converted and that God practices bias against those who are not poor. Please don't misunderstand that. That's not what this is saying. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the poor in the spirit are people like you and me who've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. We realize our spiritual bankruptcy before God, so to speak, where we saw our need for Jesus and we said yes. To Jesus. We said yes to Jesus. That's what that is talking about there. They understood that they have absolutely nothing 
of worth to offer God other than their sin that God will take away so that we can have the righteousness of Christ. So being poor in spirit is admitting that because of your sin, you're completely destitute spiritually and can do nothing to deliver yourself from your situation. Jesus is saying that no matter what your status in life is, you must recognize your spiritual poverty before you can come to God in faith to receive the salvation that he offers. Right. This is what James means when he says that God has chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom that is promised. Because often those who are economically poor are better placed than the wealthy to understand God's purposes. And there are more likely uh, prospects of conversion than the rich. Because Jesus made it very clear in Mark 10, 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Does anybody know why Jesus said that? Want to take a guess? Yes, the rich man relies on themselves. <laughs> yeah, you know, they don't see their, it's, it's harder for them to see their need for Jesus. It's hard for them to, um, you know, be willing to give up their lifestyle to follow Jesus. You see, now, it's not that, and by the way, Jesus is not saying somebody that's pretty wealthy can't get saved and all that. He's not saying that, but I think Billy is right on about that, that because they're more self-sufficient where they don't see their need for Christ um, kind of thing. So, that's what he's, he's talking about there. So in James, uh, in verses two, six to seven, James talk about how the rich are treating the poor in such a way as to expose how much it doesn't make sense to favor them over the poor. Because James point is that we misunderstand the gospel and do injury to the faith when we treat someone better simply because of their wealth. And James revealed to us that favoritism opposes God's plan. Because to show favoritism to the rich and insult the poor, we go against the very ones the Lord has specifically chosen to be rich in faith. So that's what we got to keep in mind. there. That's why favoritism opposes God's eternal plan. All right, let's go to the next point now. Point number three. We're moving right along. And by the way, if there are questions, raise your hand, please. I, I feel like I'm going through this, but, you know, just trying to make sure I do good with our time. But next, favoritism is a violation of God's law. That's the next point. Favoritism is a violation of God's law. If you look at verses 9 through 13, here's what James says. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law's lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Let me ask you guys this question. What happens here in America when you get caught by the police breaking the law? What happens? Mm-hmm. Depends what kind of law you broke. Mm-hmm. Either you can go to jail, mm-hmm. you can get a ticket, mm-hmm. or you can get like a warning if you were like speeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It depends what law it is. Mm-hmm. So if you was caught breaking the law right in front of a police officer, then what are they going to more than likely do? Are you going to walk free (laughs) more than likely? No, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get handcuffed and all that. Then like like Trey said, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it does. Yes. 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 It does. Yes. Either way, there's consequences. Yes, you're right, though, Trey. Yes, it does depend. You know, he's right. But yes, uh, there, there, either way, there are going to be consequences for breaking the law. 
Uh, so James tells us directly that when we show favoritism, we sin, and uh, we are convicted by the law as lawbreakers, so to speak. Because in verse 10, we see there that James plainly says, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. An example of the law would be, you guys, the Ten Commandments. Most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? Well, James reminds us in verse 10, and if we just broke one of those Ten Commandments, which we do, you know, then we are guilty of breaking all of them because we're sinners, and there's no, I kept four of the Ten Commands, you know, we like to do that, don't we? Well, I kept four of the Ten today, or, or, or you know, I, I, well, I didn't do the, I didn't do uh, most of them, but I did at least two of them, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, uh, I got. The Bible says that if you break one part of the law, you break the whole law. Exactly, yeah, you know, uh, but we like to, sometimes we're tempted to, uh, justify ourselves before God. Well, Lord, I, I've, I've, I haven't done as bad as somebody else did. Or, or you know, well, I've done this, even though, yeah, I know I did that. But, but like Billy said, you just break one law, you're guilty of breaking it all. That's what James is telling us there. We can't decide to keep part of God's law and ignore the rest. That is why James gives us an example of what he's talking about in verse 11, where he says, for he who said, this goes back to what Dennis was saying too, do not commit adultery, but also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. You see, you know, you, 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 so you've broken, you've broken one, you've broken it all. So since favoritism is a violation of God's law, then James exhorts us in verse 12 to speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So in other words, James is telling us that we need to remember as Christians what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, that's why he, he wants us to live, think and act in such a way that we acknowledge that one day we're going to give an account to God for how we're going to treat people, for whether how much we show the love of Christ to someone. We're not we showed favoritism. You know, we, we got to live in such a way where we're mindful of that future reality that's going to come one day when we die. Yep. That's what he's saying there. We need to be careful how we speak to others and treat others, knowing that one day we'll give an answer for how we've treated others. And James mentions that the law gives freedom because the law is no longer a, a set of external rules, but one we joyfully and willfully carry out as Christians because we love God and because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do it, you know, to carry it out. But we need to treat people as we want to be treated, knowing that we will answer to God for it. And James gives us the very reason why in verse 13 when he says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful and mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what James is doing there? He's alluding to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 7, where Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for you will be shown mercy. Jesus warns that those who show no mercy will receive no mercy in the final judgment. He's talking about unbelievers, by the way, because this doesn't mean that we receive mercy from God only when we show mercy to others. If that were true, it would make salvation a matter of God's payment for our good deeds. And we know that's a lie. There's no amount of good works that we can do to earn God's forgiveness, to earn God's mercy, to earn God's favor. For those for, uh, who are giving themselves in faith to Jesus Christ, 
God's mercy triumphs over guilt and judgment. And we've experienced that as Christians because we know God's mercy pours over us where we don't get the judgment that we deserve. So this is why James ends verse 13 by saying mercy triumphs over judgment for the Christian, not for the unbeliever, but for the Christian indeed. So if we are Christians tonight who received God's grace, then we're going to stand in the coming judgment on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. And as Christians, when we withhold mercy from others after having received God's mercy ourselves, we show that we don't either understand God's mercy or appreciate the mercy that we've received from God. We have to keep that in mind. We have to keep that in mind. So as we get ready to close things, uh, uh, there was three points that James mentioned uh, when it comes to showing favoritism. I've showed with you that favoritism is inconsistent with the Christian faith. That's why we must not show favoritism. Favoritism opposes God's plan of salvation because God specifically chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom of God. Talking about you and me, common people. And then favoritism is a violation of God's law. That's the three reasons why James gives us of why we should not show favoritism in the body of Christ. So with all that being said, James tells us what we need to do in verse eight in order to overcome the sin of favoritism in our life. Notice what he says in verse eight. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, which is this love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. That's the answer right there about how we overcome the sin of favoritism. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you this question. What do you think it means to love your neighbor? Well, what do you think about that? Or who is your neighbor? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, to love our neighbors, like, whenever they're in, like, something's happening to them, we'll be there for them. Mm-hmm. Somebody that is, I guess, in need of help, that you can, that you see needs help or something. Uh, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. That you see, yeah. Uh, somebody that you may you be made passive by, you see they need help with something, and if you're able to, you know, you're able to help them or something. Who else would you consider to be your neighbor? What does it mean to who, who are your neighbors and what does it mean to love your neighbor? Is the question. It, well, I think I don't think neighbors could be like people who live next door to you. or like mm-hmm. and, uh, It could be the people you live next door to. Yeah. yeah and and to, to, help, to love your neighbor, I guess you can, uh, if, they, uh, need, if they need help and stuff or mm-hmm. if they need like... Uh, if they help, if they help them out. Yeah. Who would you consider? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone can be your neighbor too. You mm-hmm. Know, yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just treat them with respect and how you would treat yourself. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody that God allows you to encounter in the so to speak is your neighbor. When you think about going to your job, when you think about going to school, you know, when even you th- when you come to church. You know, that is our neighbor, yes. the, the, the people that God created in his image that he's crossed paths, that he allowed us to cross paths with, you know, to have love for neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, this reminds me of the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with that story. Yes, you're familiar so with it. Mm-hmm. Guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so her, like, mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. is like in the middle of the road, like they can't really move. They don't really. They like were walking down the road and they were like robbed. And like, first guy, like, they <laughs> asked him for help, he just walks by. And then like, 
another guy comes along and he's like, and he asks him for help. Mm-hmm. And then he walks by too. And then a Samaritan, which most people back then didn't like, mm-hmm. came by. So he asked her for help. Mm-hmm. She did, like, brought him to like a hotel. Mm-hmm. Like, and paid for his room and everything. Like, pretty much had a nurse back to health. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Trey knew the story, Yeah, you know. Yeah. That, that is pretty much what happened overall, um, you know, where, uh, you know, somebody came to the aid of, of a Samaritan yeah. that the Jews did not like at the time and all that uh, and, and, you know, helped them out pretty much uh, as they were passing by down a road. That's what it, I think it does mean to love our neighbor. That's a good example as anyway of what that a, a picture of what it looks like when it comes to loving your neighbor as yourself that Jesus mentioned in that story. Oh, yeah, you had something? One thing, and, you know, very constant and consistent being heard was, you know, being willing to help somebody, Mm -hmm. basically. Yes. I think we need to have that mindset of helping somebody without the expectation of getting something in return. Yes, that's right. To where we need to do it and not, you know, saying we don't want anything in return. Mm -hmm. To where then we're really going in with that loving uh, Heavenly Father God's yeah. Uh, mindset of I just want to do this because I am capable of doing this. Yes, I do a lot of things for my uh, well, some things uh, for my neighbor, uh, with a widow woman, and I don't expect anything in return. Yeah. And of course, she always winds up doing something. Yeah, I tell her feed me, bake me stuff, you know? <laughs> I like cookies, I like pumpkin bread, yeah. come on, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't want, but anyway, but I think we need to have that mindset of yeah. that we're doing this. To show God's love yeah. instead of, hey, you know what? What could I get out of this? Because I'm guilty. I've been guilty many, many a times of I'll help you, but I, I can get something out of you too. Oh you yeah. Know? For sure, we're all like that. You know, that reminds me a good example of what Pastor Carl does sometimes. I mean, he don't say he don't say this to us to like give him a pat on the back or anything, but he always says when he helps somebody that he feels like the Lord wants him to help, he just says Jesus Christ has been good to me and he wants to be good to you. Yeah. You know, so therefore, whatever it is, here you go. Not doing it out of any expectation of getting anything back, but doing it because you want to show the love of God to your neighbor. You know, uh, so I appreciate that, Dennis. I mean, it, it, uh, that's what it, that's what we're trying to teach you as far as what that means, what that looks like in everyday life. You know, so we love our neighbor by responding to their needs and, and by loving them in the love that of Christ. We're not caring what they look like, whether not whether what their social status is, because we see them as a fellow image bearer of God that has a need and that we have compassion for them because we love them in the love of Jesus Christ. So here's how we must live in light of not showing favoritism. Uh, we are to live as Christians in light of what James taught us regarding the sin of favoritism by loving our neighbor as ourselves. But in our own power and strength, of course, we simply can't do it on our own. It needs to be the Holy Spirit uh, allowing the love of Jesus Christ to flow in us so that then it can flow out from us to other people. Now, I think that was kind of what goes with what he was saying, uh, what Dennis was saying as well. It's a love that received from God that flows out of us that enables us to be able to truly love our neighbor as our. So it's a supernatural thing that we cannot do on our own. The command to love your neighbor as we love ourselves is an impossible standard for us to carry out in our own strength and power. But because Jesus Christ perfectly loved, 
his neighbor as demonstrated not only in the parable of the Good Samaritan, but with his encounter with the woman at the well, if you know that story, with his many encounters when he sat with sinners and, and stuff like that in his ministry. He, he was, he's a perfect example of someone who showed love to their neighbor. And because Jesus done it, we too can carry out the command to love our neighbor as ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. It's possible in Christ Jesus. So as Christians, we need to ask God to help us overcome the sin of favoritism by leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to walk by the Spirit regularly so that we love our neighbor as ourselves and not treat people in a way that does not bring glory to God. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, unless you know Christ, you will not have the power to overcome the sin of favoritism. You won't have the power in and of yourself to do so. You will have the tendency to show favoritism as a sinner, and you'll be judged by God for that one day. You won't receive any mercy from God at the judgment since you broke God's law regarding favoritism, as James just said. But the good news is that if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven and you will become a new person in Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be able to stand before God in the judgment seat with uh, standing in the presence of God with mercy rather than judgment. And if you are here as a Christian tonight and you say, well, man, the Holy Spirit may have said, well, I do kind of struggle with favoritism sometimes. I I do kind of have my cliques or I I do have a tendency to talk to certain amount of people and not others. My hope and prayer is that as a result of this message, you would be willing to get before God between you and God alone and just ask God to help you allow the Holy Spirit to help you this week really carry out love of neighbor as, uh, as you love yourself in a way that brings honor and glory to God. So uh, let's go to the next slide and we're going to close and be dismissed. Here's what I want you guys to think about today. How will you seek to intentionally love your neighbors at school, at work or anywhere you may be this week to the glory of God? I want you guys to really think about some opportunities that God may give you even after you leave church tonight. You know, when it comes to your parents, your brothers and sisters, whatever that may be, think about some ways that God would intentionally have you love your neighbor as yourself this week. All right. Can we all do that? Sounds good. Yeah.